Hello and welcome to Cover to Credits, the bi-weekly podcast where we discuss books and their movie adaptations. I'm Ian George. And I'm Adina Hilton. In this episode, we'll be discussing True Grit. Should we say True Grits? True Grits. <laughs> <laughs> True Grit, the book, was written by Charles Portis and published in 1968. And True Grit, the adaptations, uh, the John Wayne version, directed by Henry Hathaway, in ni- was uh, made in 1969, and then the Coen Brothers adaptation, starring Jeff Bridges, came out in 2010. And that's right, we're talking about both of them. Three things in one. Three true grits. <laughs> three grits. <laughs> Should we title the episode that? Just have an S and apostrophes at the end of it? True grits. True grits. <laughs> if you thought we got confused discussing just one adaptation... Of a story. Yeah. Get ready for. Get ready. We'll do our best. We are going to refer to the book as the book and uh, the Jeff Bridges movie as the Coen Brothers movie. Yeah. And that's the newest one. And then, and then the John Wayne version. As just the John Wayne version. From 1969. Yeah. So hopefully you'll keep up. Honestly, so I, I, I used this analogy earlier and I think it's very accurate where if you picture it like a Venn diagram. Yeah. Each circle is a movie adaptation. Mm -hmm. And then the overlap, which is the majority of it, is the book. Yeah. So the book kind of exists like entirely between the two adaptations. Uh And they're both pretty similar. But like one adaptation will maybe divert a little bit and include one part of the book that the other adaptation doesn't. Yeah. Or vice versa. So there are some mild deviations. But for the most part, they hold pretty close to... Uh, the source material. Yeah. These are so. actually pretty faithful adaptations. So, yeah, I was really shocked. I was only familiar with the Coen Brothers version leading mm-hmm. up to this. And so reading the book, I knew I could tell that was very faithful. And I was surprised by how faithful a lot of the John Wayne version was. Yeah. Faithful in different ways. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So let's just get into it. Yeah. And talk about a little bit at first uh, about Maddie. Maddie Ross. Maddie Ross. Uh, the way the book and the Coen Brothers movie is set up, Maddie is telling the story as like an older woman kind of looking back on the past. So she's sort of narrating it. Mm-hmm. And we get that perspective from the Coen Brothers version as well. We hear like the older narrator and we get this voiceover from her that picks up right at the beginning of the story. Yeah. Where she says, and I love these opening lines in the Coen Brothers version in the book where it says people do not give much credence that a girl of 14 can avenge the blood of her father. Yeah. I'm I'm paraphrasing. I'm not reading it, but Mm -hmm. it's such a great, just immediately you can see where this story is going. And I love that. Yeah. And it's setting you up like this incredible story, but it happened and it happened to her and she's going to tell it. Mm -hmm. Uh, The John Wayne version does something a little different. Yeah. It gives us this little like prelude to the story. So in the book and in the Coen Brothers version, we're kind of just dropped in the middle of events like Maddie's dad has been killed by Mm -hmm. um, a guy that was working for them called Tom Chaney. And he basically shot him over nothing. Yeah. He got drunk, thought he was being cheated and cheated in cards. And when the dad tried to intervene, uh, Tom Chaney just shot him. He stole two California gold pieces off of him Mm -hmm. and then stole his horse from the stable and rode off into the night. Yeah. And in the 
book and in the Coen Brothers movie, we don't see any of that. We just hear that that's what happened. Yeah. But in the John Wayne movie, they do kind of like a, a beginning prologue bit where we see Maddie's dad leaving the house, saying goodbye to Maddie, <laughs> kissing his children goodbye. And then we know he's going to be killed and then he gets killed. We get this great shot in the John Wayne version where he's like, where is Maddie, by the way? And then this shot of the window with her pulling back the curtains and like, I'm here. And then the shot holds on her for a while, almost like a 90s sitcom where like her name would appear like underneath her. Like, like the title credits. Yeah. <laughs> and Maddie Ross. So we get like a little bit of a setup from there, but it's kind of this weird uh, jumpy opening where we start there and then it quickly kind of jumps to when the dad and Tom Chaney are in Fort Smith. Yeah. And the shooting incident that occurs. And And then then it it, jumps again when Maddie arrives in Fort Smith. Yeah. Without much of a immediate understanding of like the time lapse. Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. we figure out like she asks for the coroner. And so we know, okay, she's there to collect the body, I suppose. But it's a little jarring, mm-hmm. I think, the way the movie sets it up. Yeah, and the book and the Coen Brothers version just pick up with Maddie arriving in Fort Smith mm-hmm. to claim her father's body and have it sent back to her hometown and uh, kind of dis- settle all his affairs, collect his things. And so Maddie is amazing. I love her. <laughs> she is fantastic. She is a badass feminist icon. She is the a 14-year-old, 60-year-old woman. Yes. I love how she's Presbyterian yeah. and very Presbyterian and she's constantly just talking, talking about, about it. stories of the Bible and at one point in the uh, Coen Brothers movie, I forget if it's in the book, she's like, I felt like Ezekiel in the Valley of the Dry Bones. Yeah. Like telling someone. I'm like, who are you? Yeah, she just has has her opinions. And she knows when she's right and she doesn't let anyone else talk her out of it. And it's great. Uh, In the John Wayne version, she's played by Kim Darby. Mm -hmm. And in the Coen Brothers version, she is played by Haley Steinfeld, Mm -hmm. uh, who just fucking rocks it. Yeah, Haley Steinfeld is amazing in this role. She just everything from her braids to just the way she talks. <laughs> she's really good. And, and she holds her own so well with Jeff Bridges and yeah. Matt Damon and all the other actors who are in this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, we watched on the Blu-ray. There's of the Coen Brothers version. There's a little uh, bonus feature that just ha- it's just her talking about her experience on the film and yeah. how she got the role and everything. And it's just great. I know. She's cool. I like her. I do, too. <laughs> Um, so Maddie is there to get her father's stuff and she goes to see her dad's body and then basically, um, has her father's, another one of her father's kind of hired hands, take the body back with him. And she decides to stay on in Fort Smith and kind of make sure that her dad gets justice because, you know, Tom Chaney just ran off. No one stopped him. Yeah. And she's like, what is the law doing about it? When are you going to catch him and kill this bastard? Yeah, there's uh, what a line early on, and it might be in the opening voiceover where she says, uh, you must pay for everything in this world. Yeah. And I just love that, that she's kind of on this quest of vengeance, uh-huh. you know, with this kind of like righteous, like, Godly, godly belief and that, you know, that Tom Chaney has to pay for what he did. And Mm -hmm. uh, in the movie, uh, all the source, all the versions, I think, kind of deal with this interesting view of justice. Yeah. Kind of this black and white um, 
I shouldn't say black and white. Like Maddie's version of justice is very kind of black and white. Like Tom yeah. Chaney has to pay. Mm-hmm. And then we see through uh, the character of Rooster Cogburn we're introduced to later. He has this more grade version. He likes working outside the law in a yeah. lot of sense. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know. I just kind of like this view of justice in the West. Yeah. That the stories take. Yeah. And it, you kind of get this, you do get the sense that, um, kind of where every, all this is happening. It takes place in Arkansas and also in the Oklahoma, India, Indian territory, Mm -hmm. um, that justice is slow coming sometimes and unevenly dealt out. So the sheriff straight up tells Maddie, well, we heard that Tom Cheney went into Indian country and I don't have any jurisdiction there, so I can't be bothered basically. Yeah. You have to get a marshal to go out and kill this guy or catch him. And there's like a million outlaws that are just hiding out out there. So he's like just one of many. So unless yeah. you do something, you know, to personally offer a reward for this guy's capture, not much is going to be done. Yeah. He's really small potatoes yeah. to everyone else except for Maddie. Mm-hmm. So it's an interesting setup in that regard. Yeah. Uh, before she goes to recruit a marshal, though, she has to run a few errands. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the first being she goes to the uh, cor- coroner. Mm-hmm. Is that the right term? Yeah. The coroner to identify the body of her father. And um, she also goes to that hanging. Yeah. <laughs> There's just like a huge hanging in town when she gets there and they're just hanging these three guys and everyone in town is there. They're just like, yeah, let's watch these three people get killed in front of us. And I'm like, What? I, I'm it's it weirds me out so much. And honestly, reading it, I I know it's supposed to be a funny scene, but it made me so uncomfortable and like kind of freaked out, honestly. Like I couldn't imagine that. Like someone in front of me. Yeah. Like saying their last words. I know. And then just being killed after that. Like, oh, like it's horrifying to me, honestly. I, in the John Wayne version, it gets so weird with like kids are selling like peanuts. And yeah. It's like, there's like a playground nearby. Yeah. Kids are swinging. <laughs> yeah. And I'm sure it's, it's how it was, but it's just so hard to imagine that that was like the norm. A, the thing the town does, you yeah. know, on a Saturday or whatever day it was. Mm-hmm. One, one of the other manipulations of the dialogue the Coen brothers do that I loved was uh, two of the men who are white have their last remarks and yeah. in the Coen brothers version, they're identical pretty much. And then there's a native American man. And in the book, he has a whole kind of speech before he dies. Yeah. And in the Coen brothers movie, he, he starts saying, I would like to say before I'm hanged. And then the, the hangman just throws a hood over his face <laughs> and just cuts him off. Yeah. Cause, and it makes a lot of sense cause he's native American and they probably don't give a shit. Yeah. And it's used as kind of this dark comedic effect that I thought, worked really well for the Coen Brothers movie. It did, yeah. And it was funnier to watch it, but when I was reading it, I was just like, ugh. Did you think it was supposed to be funny in the book? I mean, I think, especially one of the characters gives the line like, you know, I think I'm here because I shot the wrong man, and if I had shot the right man, I wouldn't be here, you know? That's, like, that's true. It is kind of comedic in ways. Mm-hmm. I don't think it was supposed to be a funny scene, but I don't think it was supposed to be a horrifying scene either. No, that's true. Yeah. Especially with like how just okay he was with it at that point. Yeah. And I think, it, you know, it's the theme of justice and vengeance, like we yeah. were saying earlier, kind of weighing in here. But 
Yeah, I was just like not a fan. <laughs> it's very dark. I was like, Ugh. <laughs> after that, though, we get a really great scene with Maddie. And right before her father died, he went to Fort Smith originally to buy a bunch of ponies. And he bought the ponies and then he was killed. And so Maddie comes to Fort Smith and she's like, well, we don't need these goddamn ponies now because like my dad is dead. (laughs) So she tries to sell the ponies back to the guy that um, her dad bought them from. Yeah. But he doesn't want them. And we get this amazing scene. (laughs) It's and honestly, in the John Wayne version I just felt like it was boring. Yeah, it wasn't lack. It was it was lacking like that tension and like mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of a word like <sighs> the energy maybe. Yeah, that was yeah. in the book and in the Coen Brothers version. Because the Coen Brothers version really does a good job of building it up with this. You know, at first he doesn't give a shit about her, and he's like, yeah. "Okay, little girl," and then it just keeps building and building and becoming more real, and yeah. it drags out longer than you'd think it would drag out, and it almost becomes this like who's on first bit with like all the different elements they're arguing over and just the Coen brothers directing of dialogue and editing of it is so effective and funny in this scene. Yeah. And it's played up so well. It is, but it's good in the book too. It's amazing in the book. And actually I'm going to read you guys a portion of it. So uh, bear with me. I'm reading a little (laughs) bit longer than usual, but it's so worth it. Okay. I will take $200 for Judy, plus $100 for the ponies, and $25 for the gray horse that Tom Chaney left. He is easily worth $40. That is $325 total. The ponies have no part in this, said he. I will not buy them. Then I will keep the ponies, and the price for Judy will be $325. Stonehill snorted. I would not pay $325 for a winged pegasus, and that splay-footed gray does not even belong to you. I said, yes, he does. Papa only let Tom Chaney have the use of him. My patience is wearing thin. You are an unnatural child. I will pay $225 and keep the gray horse. I don't want the ponies. I cannot settle for that. This is my last offer. $250. For that, I get a release and I keep your father's saddle. I'm also writing off a feed and stabling charge. The gray horse is not yours to sell. The saddle is not for sale. I will keep it. Lawyer Daggett can prove the ownership of the gray horse. He will come after you with a writ of replevin. All right, now listen very carefully as I will not bargain further. I will take the ponies back and keep the gray horse and settle for $300. Now you must take that or leave it and I do not much care which it is. (laughs) And it goes on. That's only like the middle portion of it. Yeah. But it's so great. Just between like the saddle, the gray horse, the ponies. Yeah. (laughs) And just his like slow realization that, oh shit, I'm dealing with like this really smart girl. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. One thing I liked, though, that uh, was a line in the book and the John Wayne version uh, is that at one point she explains who Lawyer Daggett is. Yeah. And she kind of goes on about like, oh, have you heard about this steamboat uh, trade deal? And he was like, yeah. And she's like, Lawyer Daggett, like, managed that whole account or something. And it just kind of like this guy realizes like, oh, this lawyer is like a real like a big shot, like lawyer. a big shot, big deal. Mm-hmm. But the Coen brothers exclude that line. And I think it's so smart because in the book and movie, the John Wayne movie, it kind of implies that he starts taking her seriously because the lawyer is a big deal. Yeah. But by removing that line in the Coen brothers version, it's just him and her. Yeah. And he's kind of and her will slowly yes. over- overpowering him. Yes. And so that's another example of I think the Coen brothers choosing of dialogue from the book Mm -hmm. is really well thought out and just 
heightens what is already there. Yeah. You know, and serves a different purpose. Exactly. Mm hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so eventually she gets him to buy the ponies back and she gets money from him because her dad's horse was stolen. And which is good for her because she needs the money because she wants to hire a marshal to go after Tom Cheney, her dad's killer. Um, but this poor Stonehill, the guy that she sells the ponies back to, is just like so beaten by her at the end. Yeah. <laughs> He's just like, oh. I can't believe I'm here in this <laughs> godforsaken town and I have malaria and like my life. <laughs> it's great, though, because he kind of keeps coming back more so in the book than either yeah. movie adaptations. And he kind of just has, has this begrudging respect for Maddie. Yeah. And ends up helping her out in a few ways. And they kind of have this uh, <laughs> this rapport. friendship. Yeah, this rapport with each other that I really enjoy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, she goes back to him later to buy one of the ponies back for herself. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, what? <laughs> he, he at first, she's like, I'll offer you $10. He's like, no, 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 that's a lot price. Like, yeah. I'd have to. He's like, wait, are we are we trading again? <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> that's in the Coen Brothers one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then it just cuts there. Yeah. Um, so then she goes after Rooster yeah. and she, she goes to the courthouse cause she knows he's on trial for, uh, shooting someone mm-hmm. and she doesn't know the particulars, but we get this scene in all versions where Rooster's on the stand about shooting this guy. Yeah. And, and he's a marshal. Yes. For Indian he, country. A U.S. marshal. Mm-hmm. So he just kind of like goes out in this country and drags men back out of it, kicking and screaming or, or dead or dead more likely. <laughs> And that's kind of Rooster's thing Yeah, is he takes probably more dead people than alive mm-hmm. and his methods are controversial, Yeah, which we discover in this scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a great scene, though. It is. It's kind of a mini uh, mystery. Yeah. Trial. You're, you're like trying to figure out like what happened because, you know. Rooster Cogburn has killed these three different people in the same family. And then the one guy didn't die, though. And he's the one on like part of the trial. Yeah. And and they're kind of trying to figure out what happened. But it's kind of cool the way it plays out in the book because it's almost like a script, a scripted scene. Yeah. Like um, almost like it was taken from court records, which is what she implies. So, yeah. Uh, But we discover that. Rooster probably shot this guy without giving him much warning. Yeah. His story was, oh, I I pronounced myself and I came out of the bushes and he came at me with an axe. And then I shot him. From the fire that he was standing beside. But then the big reveal is he was right laying beside the fire when they found him dead. Mm -hmm. So implying that Rooster just kind of jumped out and started shooting. And shot him. Yeah. (laughs) But I really like this you're pretty certain that Rooster is lying and that's really kind of what happened. Yeah. But there's still kind of this uh, ambiguity about the events. Mm-hmm. And it sets Rooster up as being kind of more ruthless, I guess. Yeah. And he doesn't really care as much about who ends up dead as long as it's not him. Pretty much. And Maddie is like, yes, this is the guy I want. <laughs> you know, because she doesn't want Tom Chaney to somehow escape and she would rather have Tom Chaney shot and killed out 
in the West and then his body brought back rather than they bring him back. He goes on trial and then somehow he gets away. Yeah. Like she's like, I'll kill him myself if I have to. <laughs> she's got her dad's enormous pistol with yeah. her. <laughs> and I love all the jokes about it. Yeah. <laughs> like, Rooster's like, yeah, you can shoot that if you find a fence post to prop it up on. <laughs> so she gives Rooster this offer and when she has the money from the Stonehill ponies. over the ponies, <laughs> she uh, goes to the place where he lives and fa- kind of seals the deal. Yeah. She's like, I have this money and he agrees to do it. And then she's like, by the way, I'm going with you. Yeah, you have to take me. <laughs> she's like, I'm not going to let you go out there with my money. I need to make sure you're doing a good job. I love how diligent she is about getting receipts and like making sure people like yeah. follow up with what she pays them for. <laughs> Her line is like, if you think I'm just going to pay you $25 and watch you ride off into the sunset, you're sadly mistaken. <laughs> and it's great, too, because they really established that she doesn't have much experience no. out like in the country or camping or anything her best example of how she can keep up is that she, she went coon hunting she one, went time. Coon hunting. <laughs> one time <laughs> one night yeah pretty much with her uh, l- little frankie her brother little frankie and dad why she only me- ever mentions little frankie by name like, i think she her sister's name is victoria i think I guess. Yeah. I only ever remember her talk. Well, I guess Victoria's the youngest one, right? I don't know. I forget. <laughs> I just feel like she mentions little Frankie like a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and then she's like, and, and I have another sibling. But whatever. That's whatever. <laughs> it's all about little Frankie. <laughs> so she goes back to the boarding house and a man has appeared mm-hmm. by the name Labeef. Labeef. Played by Matt Damon in the Coen Brothers movie. And I don't give a shit who. <laughs> in the John Wayne one. <laughs> Essentially. He is a Texas Ranger. Yes. With spurs. With big old spurs and a big old cocky attitude. Yeah. And he is actually looking for Tom Chaney as well, which is how he finds Maddie. Yeah. And he kind of wants more information on him because he heard what had happened and wants to like see where he's gone, what he's been up to, etc. Apparently, Tom Cheney went by another name in Texas and killed a senator over something and also killed over the senator's dog. dog. Yeah. <laughs> and then he killed the dog for fun. And um, so he's been, uh, Labeef has been hunting Tom Cheney and he kind of like mentions that he's going after him, blah, blah, blah. And Maddie's like, well, I hired someone to find him and... Rooster's going to find him before you do. Yeah. Basically. <laughs> uh, can I just, we're going to talk about all the performances in this movie comparatively. Yeah. In these two movies. I love Matt Damon in this movie. Yeah, he's pretty good. <laughs> he has the cockiness and the swagger down so well. Yeah. And the scene in the Coen Brothers version is excellent because Maddie just wakes up and he's just sitting there in, in her, her room. room. Yeah. With like this cloud of uh pipe smoke around him Mm -hmm. that's so just cinematic and cool yeah and just like something about the one line when she asks if he's law and he takes a moment like looks to the side and then he flashes his badge he's like i'm a texas ranger (laughs) (laughs) and she's like okay (laughs) (laughs) but this is another scene where he thinks he's just talking to a child because maddie's i don't know if we said it maddie's 14 yeah And I think the movie, I think all versions do a good job of putting her in this strange age position where she's still viewed as a child in a lot of ways, but also as a young woman Mm -hmm. and kind of the strangeness of that. 
because <laughs> Labeef quickly gets like irritated with her. Yeah. Because she's just shitting all over him. <laughs> for being- yeah, and she's just like, wow, I can't believe you've been looking for Tom Chaney for three months and haven't found him yet. You must be really incompetent. <laughs> he's like, he's a crafty one. She's like, I always thought him to be slow witted myself. <laughs> but finally, the, the, the perfect ending line for this scene is he stands up after she pissed him off and he's like, you know, I thought about uh, stealing a kiss from you, uh, even though you are sickly and unattractive to boot. But now I'm thinking about giving you uh, six or seven good whips with my belt. Yeah. And she just like, well, one would be as unpleasant as the other. <laughs> and uh, this is something I wanted to talk about briefly, where another excellent comparison between the uh, two versions of the movie. Yeah. Because the Coen brothers effectively edit their movies so well and specifically something they do a lot in this movie is just they end on a joke yeah you know and it really it drives the punchline really well Mm -hmm. like that's a scene where it ends as soon as she says one would be as uh bad as the other yeah whereas the john wayne version continues the scene Uh uh-huh and it kind of peters out more than ending on a big note yeah that's true and i think that's what makes the coen brothers go out with a bang yeah and it makes so many of the lines that may not be that funny, like way funnier. Yeah. It's just the fact that they edit and cut right after certain lines mm-hmm. that in the John Wayne version just I mean, I know they're not going for a comedic effect as much in the John Wayne version, but, they but just, there's so much comedy gold in this book. There like, is. This book is so funny. And I think the Coen Brothers movie really takes advantage of that. They do. Uh, and so much of the dialogue is intact in both of them. Mm-hmm. But it's great to see. It's a little more manipulated yeah. in the Coen Brothers movie I really, for a different effect. Yeah. I really like talking about two different adaptations. Yeah. Uh, because seeing how two different directors. Now, obviously, um, time, oh, like yeah. when the movies were made is a huge factor. Yeah. Um, because a lot of things weren't possible back then. Yeah. Or was technology easy. even. Exactly. But simple things like editing mm-hmm. and seeing how that has changed, how it's changed, how effective it can be and how two masters like the Coen brothers use it so well. Yeah. Versus the John Wayne version, which is just it's the cuts aren't used for any real purpose besides no. ending scenes and going somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Whereas and I think you see that more in movies today where editing and the way scenes are arranged is used for specific purposes. Yeah, I often like struggle with this where I think are movies on average generally better than they used to be. Mm, interesting. And I think they are. Like I don't I think so too. I don't think it's, you know. I think just from the perspective that there's like more diverse movies now, honestly. Of course. Like when just cuz you know forever ago in the 60s like there weren't a lot of people didn't have money to make movies. So the big studios made them and they were all like basically the same thing. Sure. And movies have had time to learn off of each other. And, you know, there were a lot of um, really interesting and experimental films back then. Yeah. I mean, Kurosawa was doing things with editing and framing that. Oh, yeah. No one else was was even trying touching or trying but now we get more mainstream movies that are influenced by Kurosawa mm-hmm. and are thinking about things more because of those films. Yeah. So I, I do think on average we're seeing a lot of movies 
that are more mainstream that have more thought behind them yeah and are more interesting because of just the history of film that they have to draw from oh yeah definitely Mm -hmm. i agree but then you also have michael bay and like 20 transformers movies so yeah i don't know how far have we come really i don't know (laughs) it's true but i'm just so i rarely watch an older movie that i'm really taken with yeah you know i i view a lot of them like i view this true grit where it's i'm just there's nothing about it that i'm that drawn to yeah Every once in a while, I'll watch an old movie where I'm like, wow, this feels so modern and contemporary. Mm -hmm. But mostly they feel like this true grit, the John Wayne one. Yeah. And I just often think like, yeah. And how far have movies come? Yeah. You know? Mm hmm. Yeah. This has been Ian's movie tangent. (laughs) This has been Ian's movie corner. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So. What's happening? What's what's happening? Where are we? Uh, Where are we in the grits? She uh, beefed on LaBeef. And oh, Labeef and Rooster kind of meet up with each other and Maddie's not happy about it. And they basically don't want her to come. They're going to team up and they don't want her to come with them. And so and that's only in the John Wayne version in the uh, book that we see them. Yeah. Like actually interact and sit down because in the Coen Brothers movie, she goes to meet Rooster and he's gone. Yeah. And when she gets to the river crossing. They're already there. They're on the other side. She sees LaBeef and kind of makes the connection like, oh, shit, they met mm-hmm. and are like now on this journey together. Yeah. So they end up leaving without her, basically. Yeah. <laughs> but she's like, nope, I'm coming. <laughs> and they actually tell the ferryman not to let her cross. Yeah. On the ferry. So she just gets on her horse, which she has named Little Blackie. <laughs> yeah. The horse she bought off Stonehill. <laughs> And I love I love her relationship with his horse. She's always talking about how spirited he is and like, yeah, has noble horse flesh. (laughs) (laughs) But she's like, all right, little Blackie, let's go. And they just like jump in the river and cross the river on horseback. Yeah, she just rides the horse straight across. Mm -hmm. Uh, In the John Wayne version, it's fine. It's it's good. You know, like they really do. Yeah. In the true, in the Coen Brothers version, though, I was going to say the true grit version. You know the true grit version? Yeah. (laughs) You know the three true grit versions that we have? (laughs) That one. Yeah, the true grit one. Uh, The Coen Brothers version, this scene is one of the ones that really stuck with me. Yeah. Where she's crossing the river and we get these shots of Rooster on the other side notices her Mm -hmm. and kind of, you know, looks back. And is watching her cross. And this music. Yeah. The music in this movie is so good. In the Coen Brothers, yeah. Yeah, in the Coen Brothers version. And brings such life to this scene in particular. Mm -hmm. You know, we get this swelling music. And I just love these shots of Rooster watching her. And he starts, like, rolling a cigarette and, like, lighting it and smoking it. Mm -hmm. And you can tell he's just, like, really... Admiring her. Yes. Yeah. And just her... Make, she's proving her grit. She is. And she makes it like across the river to the other side. Yeah. To meet uh, LaBeef and Rooster. Mm-hmm. And in the Coen Brothers version, there's this great moment where <laughs> Jeff Bridges just stares at her like slack jawed for like <laughs> 10 seconds. And it's finally like, it's a hell of a horse. <laughs> <laughs> and at this point, I think Rooster is convinced that she'll mm-hmm. go with them. But LaBeef is pissed about it. And he's like. Oh, I'm still annoyed earlier about how she made fun of me 
<laughs> about stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so he just like tackles her and pulls her off the horse. And then he starts whipping her with like a stick. Yeah. At first he starts spanking her. Literally spanking yeah. her. And then he grabs uh, a switch, uh, a, a branch. Yeah. And starts hitting her. Uh, <laughs> and Maddie is pissed off and finally like yells for Rooster. Are you going to let him do this? Yeah. Rooster says, I don't think so. And Labeef <laughs> is not having, he's like, I'm finishing what I started. Yeah. It's a little weird. It's really right? weird. It's yeah. this grown She's man. She's 14 and he's like spanking her. Like, <laughs> and I'm just like, get your hands off her. Like you already said that you were going to kiss her without yeah. her wanting you to. Like it's, it's, it's rapey. It's especially creepy that he had that line earlier about yeah. like wanting to kiss her. Yeah. And now he's spanking her. Yeah. And in the John Wayne version, John Wayne. They take it a step farther. He's like, stop it, LaBeef. You're enjoying it too much. Yeah. And I'm like, ooh. <laughs> and I just made a note in my book. I wrote, you're enjoying it too much with three <laughs> exclamation points. Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, but he does have this. Uh, Rooster is this great line where when he draws his gun, he's like. It's going to be the last thing you ever do, you Texas brush popper. <laughs> I, I love I love Western dialogue. Yeah, it's so great. It's just so unique. And I love it. Like in Texas every Western, brush popper. You Texas brush popper, <laughs> just all their lines are wonderful. So that finally gets Labeef to stop. Yeah. And then they're like, OK, fine. I guess you're going with us now. <laughs> <laughs> I guess you can come. Yeah. So then we've got the trio. We've mm-hmm. got the trio. On an adventure to find Tom Chaney. Yeah. Yeah. Out in the Wild West. Uh, But in the Coen Brothers version, it doesn't last for long. No. They have Rooster and Labeef have a bit of a quarrel that the dialogue across all three versions is pretty much there. It might be rearranged. A little bit might be added. But they're kind of talking about, you know, Rooster's shitting on the horse that Labeef is riding. Yeah. And Labeef. And then they're talking about they were both involved in the Civil War. They yeah. both fought for the South, which is interesting. And they kind I of thought Labeef was the North. Didn't he say the northern part of Virginia? I don't, I don't remember. I could be wrong. I could oh, be totally. maybe. Yeah. I can't remember. <laughs> it doesn't much matter. Just that they're both like full of themselves. And yeah. Think the other and they're side. like shitting on the other like each other's companies that they were a part of and whoever they served under and blah, blah, blah. Mm hmm. Uh. But this is just and once again, uh, a line that's inserted here into the Coen Brothers version. Maddie says, like, would you like to hear the story of the Texas or the um, Midnight Caller? The Midnight Caller. <laughs> like, it's like a campfire story. Yeah, she's like, I'll say all the lies and I'll, if you want to be the caller, I'll tell you what to say. Yeah. <laughs> There's just this awkward pause where no one says anything. Uh, that's what I. OK, so I love these bits with Maddie when mm-hmm. she just like goes back into like a childlike mode. Yeah. Because it's such a juxtaposition where she's so firm and such an old lady and is just like, this is what I want. You can't cheat me, you like lying <laughs> bastards. But then she's like, I will name this horse Little Blackie. Yeah. He'll be like my horse. And do you want to hear the story of the midnight collar? <laughs> Papa and I did the story when we went coon hunting. You know, like yeah. it's, it's so it's so great. I love that about her. I know, and there's scenes of her like feeding little Blackie and just talking yeah. to him and like mm-hmm. telling him everything that's like going on. Yeah, I, I do. I really love that contrast in her. And it kind of plays into like her age. Once again, yeah. she's kind of on the cusp of being a child and being a young woman. And mm-hmm. yeah, it, it's excellent. 
and then they they split up. Yeah, in, in the, the Cohen brothers. brothers. <laughs> 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 if you're keeping up, they are still together in the John Wayne version and the book. Yeah, and this is a uh, kind of a big divergent in the Cohen brothers movie from yeah, the source material. The biggest. They the group splits up a couple times mm-hmm. with Labeef leaving because he can't freaking stand. Rooster. Uh, Rooster. <laughs> and this is the first instance of it where Libby finally leaves. He's like, I'll find Tom Chaney on my own. Mm-hmm. You know, you can babysit and watch Maddie and I'll like go do all the work pretty much. Yeah. And so then it's Rooster and Maddie on their own. We never see Labeef on his own. No. It's always from Maddie's perspective with mm-hmm. Rooster. And from going to a store and getting some information and then kind of going here and there, they end up going to a dugout. Yeah. They call it, which is just kind of a cabin by the river. Yeah. In kind of a, a niche. Mm-hmm. So it's kind, kind of, of like built into the ground. Yeah. And essentially, I think they just go there for shelter. Yeah. In all the versions. But when they get there, they discover uh, a couple of guys are there. Mm-hmm. And this is something I also like in the Coen Brothers version because Labeef has split up yeah. from them. Maddie has a little bit more to do. Mm-hmm. So in all versions, they throw a coat over the chimney yeah. to uh, smoke out the two guys who are in there because they won't come out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in the book, in the John Wayne version, it's Labeef who goes up onto the roof. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the Coen Brothers version, because Labeef isn't with them at this point, Maddie has to go do it. <laughs> and I think there's a couple instances of that where Maddie has more of a role because Labeef isn't around as yeah, much. Yeah. And I enjoy that. She's not as much of a spectator. Mm-hmm. She's engaging a little bit more. So they get the men to come out and Rooster shoots at them and then they surrender. But one of them is shot in the leg. Yeah, something I wasn't quite sure about in any of the versions was, was it Rooster's gun? Yeah, he shoots him. Okay, I Mm -hmm. I thought so, because in the book, I think he describes hearing a yelp. Hmm. But for some reason, I don't know, in the in the movie versions, I wasn't sure. I'm like, were they hiding out here because he was shot? No. Yeah. Yeah. Rooster shoots him. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Well, now that that's cleared (laughs) up. (laughs) So Moon and Quincy are in the cabin and Moon has been shot. Yes. And in the Coen Brothers version, Moon is played by. Donald Gleason. Donald, Donald Gleason. Donald thank you. Gleason. Uh, who you'll know him as General Hux from the new Star Wars trilogy. Or Bill Weasley from Harry Potter. He's everywhere now. And this was one of his first, I feel like, big movies that mm-hmm. he was. I mean, it's a small role, but it's a very small role. And he's kind of got long, greasy hair. And he's really tough to identify. Yeah. Uh, but it's definitely Donald Gleason. He's so great in this part. Mm-hmm. I love him. He's like, he's kind of more whiny. Yeah. In the John Wayne version, Moon is just like freaking out. Yeah. He's like twitching all he's over like, the place. No, no, no. I'm shot. I'm shot. He's just like, he's very spasticky. Yeah. Uh, whereas in the Coen Brothers version, he's just kind of sweaty And freaking out like a little like on the inside. (laughs) Yeah, he's like, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. But uh, basically, Rooster tries to get information about the Ned Pepper gang, which Ned Pepper is a famous outlaw. And they think that Tom Chaney has kind of hooked up with him. Yeah. So he's like, where, you know, what do you guys know about Ned Pepper or Tom Chaney? And Quincy isn't talking, but. You know, Rooster can sense that Moon might be a little more uh, 
easy to get information from since he's shot and he's basically like, now listen, if you tell me what I want to know, like I'll take you and we can get that leg fixed up. But if you don't, they're going to cut off your leg. You're going to die. <laughs> like really trying to like break him. Yeah, <laughs> it, It's a great scene. And, and Jeff Bridges plays Rooster. I, I know we haven't talked about the versions yet. Yeah. Uh, but Jeff Bridges plays Rooster so well. He's just so laid back mm-hmm. and kind of casual about this whole thing. He growls like all his lines. <laughs> He's really hard to understand. He's really hard. You might need to like watch some with, with subtitles. Yeah. Like. I, or I was going to say uh, one of the um, reasons to read the book might be if you're a fan of the Coen Brothers version. And you don't understand half the dialogue. And you want it. There's so many times when I was reading this book and because so much of the dialogue is verbatim, I would just be like, Oh, that's what they said. (laughs) Or like, that was the line. I I could never understand what he said in this part. Uh, But essentially, you know, uh, Jeff Bridges just has like kind of a swagger to him. Yeah. A confidence. Whereas John Wayne just kind of barks out all of his lines. Yeah. I guess he's supposed to be like eccentric. I don't know. John Wayne won an Oscar for this. John Wayne. John Wayne. Won an Oscar for this. And if you think, oh, was this like, if you haven't seen it and you're like, oh, was this a role that he was suddenly like really good in some actors do sometimes where suddenly they embody a character and they get method. No, he's John Wayne in it. Yeah. He's the same John Wayne, you know. In every other John Wayne movie. (laughs) Yeah. Every John Wayne impression you can think of. That's him. Yeah. And it's just, I get it. It was an Oscar where it was like, you know, for so much that you've done over the course of your career. Also like a a loved book, you know, like the source material and stuff. But yeah, I'm like, uh. Uh, He beat both main actors. I can only think of um, Dustin Hoffman for Midnight Cowboy. Mm -hmm. I forget the other main actor. They were both nominated. And Midnight Cowboy is like a classic. I only know some scenes and snippets from it. Uh, But he beat both of them. And (laughs) I'm not Dustin Hoffman. But if I was Dustin Hoffman, I would be pretty pissed. So mad (laughs) watching John Wayne go up there and accept an Oscar. Yeah. So, but that's. Our take on the two roosters yeah. is that Jeff Bridges is excellent. He embodies the character so well mm-hmm. and just has this swagger and like great accent. Gruff charm. Mm-hmm. And John Wayne is just John. It's just John Wayne. Wayne. <laughs> uh, an interesting, though, divergent is both characters in both movie adaptations are 60. They were yeah. both early 60s, Jeff Bridges and John Wayne, when they played the role mm-hmm. in the book, though. Uh, he's supposed to be like 40 maybe? he's like in his 40s yeah and actually I think we kind of try to do the math yeah based on the end of the book what they say but I think uh, Labeef is supposed to be older yeah or at least around the same age yeah and Wh- they have Labeef being like much younger so mm-hmm. which the dynamic in both versions is kind of Labeef being a cocky young yeah dude while Rooster's older and gruffer mm-hmm. so I I find that interesting that like those ages are kind of switched almost and in both movies do it yeah and both movies i think just the character's so iconic in the john wayne yeah, sense yeah if they changed it too much it would be weird it'd be like oh they're making a remake and they're making them younger now yeah. even though it's more true to the book yeah <laughs> 
So essentially back to the cabin, uh, moon almost breaks, or I guess he does. He He starts telling them them. that Ned and his gang are going to come later that night. And before he can, um, I, I, I guess he finishes what he's going to say, but Quincy pulls out a knife. Yeah. Chops his fingers off first. Yeah. Which is a dick move. Yeah. He's like, here you go, Moon. Let me just chop off your fingers. Before anything else. And then he manages to stab him. Whereas Rooster then pulls out his gun and shoots Quincy. Yeah. Uh, point blank and kills him. But now Moon is dying. <laughs> now Moon's on the ground. In the John Wayne version, I laughed so much because the lines are the same, but they're so rapid. Yeah. Like immediately as soon as Moon's shot, he's like, oh, I'm dying. And then John Wayne immediately is like, there's nothing I can do for you. <laughs> I'm like, you didn't even look at him. Yeah. <laughs> he's just like, it's too late. You're already dead. You're dead. <laughs> yeah. So in the book and in the John Wayne movie, Rooster just gives He gives Quincy a knife to cut up a turkey for their dinner. He's like, here, fix this turkey. And then, of course, Quincy uses that knife to chop off Moon's fingers and then stab him, which is like so stupid. Yeah, he's like, I'm going to interrogate your partner in front of you for information that I know you don't want him to give. And also you have a knife in your hand that I gave to you. So this happens in the book this way. Mm -hmm. So the John Wayne version is just being faithful to the book by including this. But it's just it's one of those parts where I was like, what? That doesn't make any sense why he would do that. It's one of those things where I don't think it's like the order I was experienced these in were Coen Brothers version, then book, then John Wayne version. Yeah. So when I was reading the book version, I knew it was different, but I didn't think that much of it. And it wasn't until I saw it in the John Wayne version visually that I'm like. That's so stupid. Why did yeah, they do this? It doesn't make sense. He's just sitting there chopping up this turkey and just watching him. I'm like, what did they think was going to happen? Yeah. Yeah. In, um, in the Coen Brothers version, he pulls a knife out of his boot. Yeah. So they're only like a little incompetent. Yeah. In for the not Coen searching Brothers him version. properly. Yeah. <laughs> so this leads to. Both of them being dead. Both of them being dead. <laughs> and Rooster decides they, they're going to have a like a stakeout and try to trap the four guys in Ned Pepper's gang who were coming that night. Yeah. Supposedly. So they kind of take their posts and in the Coen brothers version, it's just rooster and Maddie. Cause LaBeef is still not with them. LaBeef is gone. John Wayne version in book. LaBeef is there as well. Mm-hmm. Stationed somewhere else. Uh, but in the Coen brothers version, this is where LaBeef shows up. Yeah. He's like, I've been tracking, uh, Ned Pepper and Tom <laughs> Chaney and here I am at this dugout and they're already waiting to like ambush the Ned Pepper gang and so he kind of walks up he's looking around and then that's when the Ned Pepper gang shows up of course yeah and so he's kind of like oh hey what's up who are these fine people <laughs> and I love it because in that version in the Coen Brothers version they're watching this interaction of LaBeef and the gang and yeah. you can't you can faintly hear they're talking but you can't make anything out that they're saying yeah so you kind of get this great like they're talking and then you see labeef draw his gun Mm -hmm. and then suddenly like the two horses start circling him yeah and they manage to lasso him and start dragging him on the ground Mm -hmm. and that's when uh rooster decides to start open fire yeah to because it's like it's what else are they going to do at this point yeah so he starts shooting they get a couple guys and they drop 
Labeef, mm-hmm. but Ned Pepper and a couple of the guys or one other guy get away. Yeah. And in the Coen Brothers version, uh, Labeef was shot through the shoulder Ugh. and he claims uh, Rooster did it. <laughs> and not only that, but he like bit his tongue. Ugh. It's, gross. <laughs> it's so gross. And he like just bleeding out the mouth and he can barely talk. Yeah. But this is such a funny injury for Labeef to have. Yeah. Because he he never shuts up. <laughs> and even after he's almost bit his tongue off, he's, he's still like, talking. He's still talking later. I read that Matt Damon put a hair tie around his tongue <laughs> so that he would talk like that effectively. Oh <laughs> but like that night, he's still rambling on about this or that with his tongue half off. And it's just it's so funny. Yeah. Yeah. And the book and in the John Wayne one, um, same thing happens, just Labeef isn't involved. They shoot at them um, when they get close to the dugout. Um, but Ned Pepper and another guy get away. Essentially, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, this is kind of how they split apart and come back together in the Coen Brothers version. Yeah. And they'll still split up one more time and <laughs> come Co- back together. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize that till watching it. It's not like they split up and come back together a lot in this version, mm-hmm. but I enjoy it. I think it adds a, an interesting dynamic to the group. Yeah. So in the uh, book in the John Wayne version, they make this side trip to bury the bodies and get some supplies. Yeah. Coen Brothers skips this. I think it's smart. Yeah, it doesn't really add much to the story. Nothing happens. Then they get to the then this is at this point, Rooster has acquired whiskey. Yeah. (laughs) uh, From the dugout or the store, depending on the version. Mm -hmm. And he starts getting drunk. Yeah. And falling off his horse and just kind of being a huge asshole. And like rambling. He's like talking a lot. (laughs) There's so many parts in the book of him just going on and on about his, his life his life and like all these things he used to do and a store and his wives and yeah. cattle and all this stuff and <laughs> it's kind of it's really funny I, I like it mm-hmm. uh there's a great scene though when he's drunk where Labeef kind of calls him out and he's determined to show that he's not that drunk yeah so he starts throwing what he calls corn dodgers, which is just like cornbread. Yeah. He starts chucking it into the air and like shooting at it like quick shots. Yeah. From the hip to get it. And then it starts this whole competition between him and Labeef yeah. throwing these corn dodgers in the air and trying, trying to, to shoot them. Yeah. yeah. And Maddie's just like, uh, how is this helping us find Tom Chaney? <laughs> this is such a dude thing to do, though. Yeah, to suddenly is. just be like, oh, yeah, let's waste all of our food yeah. to see who can let's, shoot the best. Let's try to shoot cornbread out of the air. <laughs> <laughs> and waste a ton of time. Uh, the Coen brothers end the scene so well, though, with the last time Rooster throws it in the air, <laughs> he whips his jacket over his face and just starts shooting randomly. <laughs> it's hilarious. Oh, my God. So then they finally get to the mountains that they think Ned Pepper's gang is in. Mm -hmm. And at this point, Rooster's a drunk asshole in the Coen Brothers version. Yeah. And it starts another argument fight among them, among them that eventually leads to Rooster being pissed off and he bows out. Yeah. Of helping Maddie. He basically says he gets gives up and he's going to leave. They're already camped for the night, but he's like. After this, I'm going back like mm-hmm. I'm not going to do this anymore. And the trail is cold. I don't know where he is. Blah, blah, blah. And Labeef kind of says that he's going to leave, too. And there's a moment in the Coen Brothers version where Maddie um, kind of 
tells him that she doesn't want him to go and she wants him to help her and that maybe she chose the wrong man for the yeah. job that Labeef would have been better for her to choose to go after Tom Cheney. I really like this scene in the movie. Yeah, it's a sweet moment between them. Mm-hmm. And I think it makes up for maybe a little bit for him uh, whipping her <laughs> earlier. <laughs> yeah, and just being kind of creepy. And he does tell her like that he respects her and that she showed like her strength and her grit. So yeah, it, it, and he extends his hand to her yeah and they shake and it's kind of an emotional moment and i like this a lot too this splitting up a second time Mm -hmm. because it leads into the third act really well yeah you know it's kind of the all hope is lost moment yeah where rooster's done labeef has left he's leaving yeah what what are they even gonna do now Mm -hmm. uh and then maddie the next morning goes down to the river to get some water and this kind of happens exactly across all the versions yeah it's just only the Coen Brothers version where they split up. Yeah. In in the book and in the John Wayne version, Labeef is still there and they're still in pursuit of yeah. uh, Tom Chaney and Rooster hasn't given up yet. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. So Maddie gets to the water and who does she find? But her number one enemy, Tom Chaney. <laughs> Tom Chaney himself. Tom Chaney is down by the river watering some horses and Maddie's like, Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) And the audience is like, oh, my God. (laughs) And then Tom Chaney's like, hey, is that Maddie Ross? Maddie, what are you doing here? (laughs) She's like, I'm getting water obviously yeah he's (laughs) He's like like, what are you doing no what are you doing like here these mountains yeah he's like really baffled at first uh I have to talk about Josh Brolin in the Coen Brothers version as Tom Chaney. Tom Chaney. He plays him so goofy. Yeah. And kind of stupid. Kind of gives him this like weird voice. Like yeah. it's very in the throat. Yeah. And it's just so funny the way this scene plays out where he realizes that Maddie's out there for him. Yeah. And she makes this crazy claim that there's 50 marshals up over pulls the her hill. pistol on him. Yeah, she pulls her gun. Luckily, she has it and claims yeah. there's 50 marshals, which he knows isn't true. He's yeah. an idiot, but he knows there's not 50 marshals up there. <laughs> and he's goes to grab Maddie. He's like, no, you're actually coming with me. And as soon as he approaches her, she, she shoots fucking him. shoots him. <laughs> she only gets him in the side, but it's so great. <laughs> and there's a line. It's the same in all three versions, but it's yeah. still the funniest in the Coen brothers version where he's holding his side. He's like, oh, I did not think you would do it. <laughs> <laughs> it's all, it's a line that would almost be like in a Will Ferrell movie or something. I yeah. can't, but it's so funny. And she, he, Starts running towards her and she tries to shoot him again, but her gun won't fire. And so he grabs her and then basically pulls her and like kind of carries her out and kidnaps her kind of. Yeah, but the gunshot alerts both Rooster and Tom Chaney's group, Ned Pepper's gang. And so they kind of converge on this river, shooting across the river at each other. Mm -hmm. But Tom Chaney gets Maddie. And once they're on the other side, Ned Pepper has a hold of her. And threatens to kill her. Threatens to kill her. I love this scene where he's yelling across the river. He can't see Rooster, but they're just yelling at each other about like, I have this girl and Rooster tries to act like he doesn't know who she is. (laughs) She's like a runaway. Yeah. He threatens to kill her and Rooster's like, well, do what you think is best, Ned. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But so now essentially 
Ned threatens to kill her unless he sees Rooster riding away, yeah. like on the other side of the of the ridge. Mm-hmm. So Maddie's in deep shit, basically. Yeah, <laughs> she's just left with this gang. I'm sorry. I had to mention real quick in the John Wayne version. I don't know why she's doing it, but the I forget her name. The girl who plays Maddie. Yeah. When she has the gun on Tom Chaney. Oh, she's yeah. Doing this weird like movement side to side with her hips. hips yeah. Like she's antsy. Like which, she's backing it up. Yeah. <laughs> backing it up. Which like. I get like she's nervous and antsy, but she keeps doing it the entire scene. It's weird. And she's also talking strangely. Yeah. She's like, I know you, Tom Chaney. And like her <laughs> her jaws kind of protruding. It's weird. It distracted me the entire scene. <laughs> I don't know if anyone else familiar with the movie knows what I'm talking about. But, but yeah, it was strange. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we get this great part where Maddie is taken up to the top of the hill <laughs> where uh, Ned Pepper's gang is is uh, hanging out for now. And Ned Pepper's like, so what's going on? Tell me, tell me what's happening. And she's like, okay, here's the story. (laughs) She's like, so Tom Chaney shot my dad because he's a worthless bastard. And now I hired a marshal to come out and kill him. And here I am to kill Tom Chaney. And Ned Pepper's like, okay, makes sense. Like, totally get it. Yeah, yeah, I get it. And he like, he kind of like, it seems like he respects her a bit or maybe like kind of is interested by her story and is sort of like, yeah, Tom Chaney is sort of a worthless asshole. Like, I can understand why you want to kill him <laughs> i love how everyone in the gang kind of hates tom cheney yeah. and like picks on him yeah and he's just like everyone is against me he's such a whiny bitch he is <laughs> but there's some kind of like justice or sense of satisfaction that he's not even like among people who like who him like him <laughs> he hasn't even found a group who like even the outlaws think he's like worthless garbage yeah they're like oh tom cheney is so annoying <laughs> and in the book they have they have maddie sign like a whole they have like a bunch of banknotes that they stole yeah and they have her forge because they she, they find out she can write and spell well it's like, can you forge these while you're here yeah it was such a weird so maddie's back to doing like secretarial work like yeah she's like forging checks and i think she even has a line about like she couldn't even like even forging stuff she couldn't do poorly like deep down she still had to do a good job yeah. at it she's like well those are the best i can do <laughs> essentially so the scene ends with they see Rooster on the other side of the ridge. Yeah. With LaBeef in uh, the John Wayne and book. Yeah. It's Rooster and LaBeef on the ridge. Mm-hmm. And they shoot a signal shot and he shoots back. And essentially Ned's like, well, we're going to head out of here. Uh, Tom Chaney, you lost your horse. So you have to stay here with Maddie. You got to stay here with Maddie. We'll totally send a horse back for you (laughs) when we get to the place we're going. Yeah, the meetup place. And don't hurt the girl because if you do, then when you get back, you won't get any of your reward. And Maddie's like, don't leave me here with this guy. I'm like, I just shot him. Like, I don't think he likes me. (laughs) He's like, you'll be fine. Cheney won't get paid, but also it's real obvious that they're not going to see Cheney again. They're like they're not going to come back for him. They're just leaving. Yeah. So Maddie's situation is very precarious. And this is one of those situations where I think she still thinks she can like 
convince and like will her own way out of this. Yeah. She's like, now let me tell you a proposition. And he's like, <laughs> he's like too. He, I don't he's know if it's that he's too stupid, but he just knows like, you're yeah. not going to help me. Like she's using her lawyer line. Like I have a good lawyer. Do you need a good lawyer? <laughs> Call 1-800 Maddie Ross's lawyer. So he goes to attack her because he's had enough of this shit. And then uh, Labeef appears out of nowhere and mm-hmm. uh, and saves her. Saves her yeah. Which, once again, the Coen brothers change to the script makes the most sense. Because in their version, they think only Rooster's with her. Yeah. Because that's what Maddie thinks. Maddie thinks Labeef is gone. Yeah. So they're only looking for Rooster on the ridge, mm-hmm. which makes sense that Labeef could double back, could double back because he and Rooster, you know, both met when they heard the shot. Mm-hmm. He doubles back and saves her. Yeah. It's very confusing in the book. Yeah. You're not sure how he got back there. And the John Wayne version, how, yeah, how he got back so quickly. Yeah. Because the whole purpose of them waiting for him to be on that other side of the ridge. Other side of the ridge was like, okay, they can't get back to us now. Yeah. And in the book, they she has some line about like, oh, I realized he must have gone the back way <laughs> up the mountain or yeah, something. Yeah, something. Anyway, she's saved. And then Rooster down below them um, in this kind of like field or like prairie yeah. area, kind of like faces off with the four members of Ned Pepper's gang mm-hmm. and he's kind of blocking their way out and they're like what do you think you're going to do it's four against one and then Rooster's like <laughs> and then they're like Hur. and then they charge each other <laughs> four against one and they're just like guns blazing horses yeah. running and uh, uh Rooster gets the reins in his teeth as he's like dual wielding guns. Yeah, They really set this scene up well in all versions yeah. where he tells Maddie this story earlier about how he did this once. He mm-hmm. rode one. He was alone and he rode against seven other guys. Yeah. Like and they all scattered because they were afraid. Mm-hmm. And she's kind of like, that doesn't That's an sound right. <laughs> but he says he's like, if you go hard and fast enough against a group, then they're too scared to think about the numbers that they have and they'll just think about themselves and run, Mm -hmm. which I'm like, that kind of makes sense to an extent. Like I kind of believe that. And so I think they set up the unbelievability of this scene. Well, by kind of prefacing it with that story Mm -hmm. and you're like, wow, now he's doing it again. And it's really cool. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And he ends up shooting at least Three of them. One of them runs away. Yeah. And just is like gone. He's like peace. And he just like. <laughs> He's like, OK, bye. <laughs> he kills two of the guys and manages to shoot Ned Pepper. Yeah. Multiple times. But he's not dead. But he's not dead. And Rooster's horse gets shot and pins him. Mm-hmm. And we get this. Oh, the tension of this scene is so great. in the yeah. Coen Brothers version. I'm sorry. I keep. I, I know I'm only talking about the Coen Brothers version, <laughs> but it's just. The John Wayne version is just... The substance is there, but there's not a lot of style. Yes. It's just kind of a recounting of the events. Yeah. Whereas the Coen Brothers version really heightens everything so well Mm -hmm. with the music and the cinematography. Yeah. Um, Holy shit. Holy shit. Roger (laughs) Deakins. um, He does, I think, a lot of the Coen Brothers cinematography for their movies, if Mm -hmm. not all of it. But he filmed this movie 
and it is just gorgeous. Like all of the shots and the cinematography. And it it takes place during winter and um, the John Wayne version, it seems more like summer. Yeah, it's like middle of summer. Yeah, but it's just like so you get such a sense of place and a, this mood setting, I think, you know, like sometimes it's snowing. It's kind of a harsh landscape. Yeah. It's really gorgeous. And there's so many shots in the movie that are unremarkable in uh, subject. Yeah. But stand out to me like there's a great scene when they're arguing for the last time before Labeef leaves. And Labeef is standing kind of crouched under a tarp because it's raining. Yeah. And the camera's kind of under him. And just the way he's framed with the tarp over him, it's such a beautiful shot and just sticks in my brain. Yeah. But it's just from dialogue, you mm-hmm. know, and I, and I can't even say why it's great. Just aesthetically, I love it. Yeah. Um, And and just Roger Deakins fucking does it again. He finally won an Oscar for Blade Runner 2049. Yeah. Which he badly, badly deserved <laughs> for just all of his work. Yeah. Um, I'm sure... If you look him up, you'll be familiar with a lot of movies. But another interesting thing is uh, True Grit had 10 Oscar nominations. Which one? Uh, I'm sorry. uh, The uh, uh, Coen Brothers version. Okay. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That's just where my brain is. It's in Coen Brothers land. Uh, Had 10 nominations, I think, and won nothing. Wow. And it's one of the most nominated movies to win nothing. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And it's terrible i'm so upset about it i'm still mad so but that's just we couldn't talk about the coen brothers adaptation without talking about the cinematography a little bit yeah yeah uh and this is you know adding to the scene where uh ned pepper approaches uh rooster who's pinned under his horse Mm -hmm. and up on the cliffside we have labeef with his gun out yeah and they're like 60 yards away they're so 600 600 sorry <laughs> 60 yards a whole versus 600 60 yards 600 yeah and labeef is aiming at ned pepper and there's this great moment where right before he shoots you just hear him say oh lord mm-hmm. and i don't know why i love that but then he shoots and we like the shot from a distance of ned and then just he slowly up. falls yeah he just horse. slumps over after like this suspenseful moment mm-hmm. so it's cool because labeef Saves Rooster in that mm-hmm. moment, which is nice. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, he's interrupted by a stone, a stone hitting his head because they didn't tie up Tom Chaney. And we're just like, just leave him there. Like, it's fine. Well, another another smart adjustment by the Coen Brothers version. Uh, Labeef knocks him out in yeah. the Coen Brothers version. Yeah. So in the Coen Brothers version, he just happens to wake up. Yeah. In the other version, they just leave him. They're like, hey, don't you move. We're going to turn our backs yeah. and not acknowledge you. And watch you. Rooster do this fight thing. But don't you go anywhere. And so, of course, he takes a rock and just pummels uh, Labeef with it. Yeah. And uh, then he goes after Maddie and she grabs her pistol again and shoots him. She has this great line in the Coen Brothers movie mm-hmm. where she says, stand up, Chom Chaney. And then she shoots him. <laughs> she makes him get up so she can shoot him yeah. more clearly in the chest. But unfortunately, the kickback from the pistol... Um, Lands her in a snake pit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it makes sense in the Coen Brothers version. She's kind of like suspended by roots. Yeah. That she got snaggle- snarled up in. And she sees these snakes coming after her. Like she wakes up the rattlesnakes that were down there. Yeah. And so 
eventually Rooster shows up mm-hmm. and hears her calling for help and has to go down there to, and get her. to save her. Uh, not before she gets bit in the hand, though. Yeah. Oh, there's this great. I mean, it's such a cool image. It works in both movies, actually. And it's cool in the book, too, where there's this corpse down there. Yeah. And she kind of is trying to pull it towards her so she can either grab, you know, a weapon or a knife or whatever um, is in it. And when she pulls it towards her, she sees there are rattlesnakes in the chest yeah. of the body, just like chilling, like sleeping Ugh. in there. It's so gross. And you, and you can't tell what it is. They at look first. like intestines. They do. It looks like guts. And yeah. then they just start moving and you Ugh. hear the rattle. The book has this really convoluted situation. Yeah. She's where, like stuck in a hole in the cave. Yeah. He's going to like fall down the hole and there are like bats underneath her. And she's trying to reach the shirt so she can stuff it in the hole with her. So, so she, she doesn't, doesn't fall. So she doesn't fall through. Yeah. It's very convoluted. <laughs> I preferred the simplification of it. I yeah. think in both adaptations. But anyway, Rooster get pulls her up, but she's already been bitten by the snake. And in the John Wayne version, Labeef attaches a rope to the horse and pulls them up, both up. Yeah. And then just dies. He fucking dies. He just dies. falls over and dies. And we're like, what? Is he dead? It, he's dead. Oh, my God. And then they just leave him there. I guess he awoke from his concussion long enough to save them before his brain swelled. And he just died. <laughs> and we were both like. I can't tell if he's dead or just unconscious again. And then yeah. they give a line about you'll be as dead as him. Yeah. I'm like, and they talk about his funeral later and you're like, oh, my God. But he does not die in the Coen Brothers version and he does not die in the book. So, yes. So <laughs> that is I like that better. Yeah. And uh, but either way, Rooster does leave him behind because he grabs Maddie and he's like, we need to get you to a doctor right now because of this mm-hmm. snake bite. And there's this great part where he takes little Blackie and the two of them are just kind of racing towards civilization so he can get her to a doctor and poor little Blackie he does his best but he's just a gentle pony and he dies along the way yeah they run him to death basically yeah and there's a set there's a terrible moment of the Coen Brothers version where Rooster shoots him yeah in front of Maddie and she's just so upset about it yeah but she's also delirious because of yeah. the snake bite. But yeah, it's a. I really liked the scene in the Coen Brothers version just because they're riding at night and like the snow is falling. But yeah. also like there's a part where you can see the stars and it's just them like kind of racing across this landscape. And mm-hmm. it's sort of like fever dream ish a little bit because Maddie is, you know, poisoned. Um, but it just had this atmosphere to it. I really yeah. liked it. And also... After the horse dies, Rooster has to take her up in his arms yeah. and like ra- keep running himself. And of course, he's like a 60 year old man. He's yeah. like out of shape. But this is one of the reasons I haven't looked at a list lately, but yeah. this may be my favorite Coen Brothers movie, Ooh, which is very. It's a bold sig- statement. It is. Um, and I, I, I love. Might be mine, too. I think some of their movies are a little too. um pessimistic for me yes and that's what i was gonna say i think that's what i and that's their style like i don't necessarily want them to change that because i mean it makes the big lebowski funnier and like certain movies more interesting like no country for old men yeah but with this movie i love the heart that's in it yeah it's not super 
sentimental sentimental by any means no but you definitely see this connection and bond between maddie and rooster grow yeah and just seeing and the even scene, her labeef too yeah yeah between all three of these characters it's excellent mm-hmm. and just seeing this scene of him carrying her and like yeah. racing to save her is just very heartwarming mm-hmm. and you know you don't see that in a coen brothers movie very often and i no. think they did it just the right amount yeah and between that and the cinematography and the humor and the action like i love this you calling it i really like this movie <laughs> it might be my favorite Coen brothers it's just that good um yeah but so anyway in every <laughs> he, version he gets her to safety he gets her to safety but then it kind of cuts here and um she talks she kind of narrates this yeah just kind of saying like well and they had to cut off my arm because of the poisoning from the snake yeah so that her uh, left arm is amputated and then she just kind of talks about how you know rooster kind of heads off and then she really never sees him again and Mm -hmm. it kind of goes into her perspective like 25 years later when she's older and uh this is how it goes in the book and in the coen brothers movie anyway yeah she um she never marries and she just didn't have time to fool with it, as she said. <laughs> it's great. It's like the Maddie that you hope she grows up to be. Yeah. Like seeing her as yeah, a child. Yeah, she just like doesn't have time for people's shit. She's just a, uh, oh, oh, she's still stubborn in all the right ways. Yeah. And just doesn't care that much for the foolishness of marriage and all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. And But she's strong and she lives, you know, her life. Mm-hmm. And basically she has a chance to see Rooster again, but by the time she gets there, he has already died. And she actually moves his body to her own family plot. So kind of solidifying this connection between them. Yeah. That he was like family to her. That was the other really sweet. I, I love the bittersweetness of this. That, yeah. Like she never saw him again. After that. After he got her to safety like mm-hmm. he was gone that morning I don't think that's necessarily true for the book I think he saw she saw him a little bit yeah uh, before he left but in the movie she says he, she never saw him again until mm-hmm. you know she goes and he she finds that he passed away so just her bringing his body back to her family plot yeah is just really sweet and she thinks about uh Labeef yeah and wonders if he's still alive somewhere and thinks mm-hmm. he must be like about 70 nearer to 80 at this point. Yeah. And I think the last line is about like time just gets away from us. Yeah, it is. It's like this bittersweet moment, you know, Mm -hmm. these people that she cared about and that had, she had a connection with and she kind of takes care of rooster in the end, you know, bringing him to where she can tend to his grave. You know what I mean? And and remember him and everything. So I, I really like that. Uh, should we discuss the John Wayne ending? I don't want to, but we should. Uh, the John Wayne ending basically tacks this epilogue onto the movie where she is recovered now from her snake bite. She didn't lose the arm. She didn't lose the arm. I'm like, what? <laughs> I want one-armed Maddie. <laughs> Just hold it behind your back. Like and she's like still the same age, and John Wayne is with her, and... She's back at her house and then she they go up to the grave of her father and she basically tells Rooster that she wants him to be there when he dies. She's like, I have a spot here for you. <laughs> it's a very it's weird creepy. scene. It's very creepy. And he's like, well, I, I hope not to be there too soon. Yeah. <laughs> and she's like, oh, don't you worry. And she's like, oh, it's just like kind of sentimentally and stupid and I don't like it. It's trying to be sentimental and it's just 
kind of goofy and a little weird and awkward. And they don't have any book dialogue to draw on, so the the all the dialogue is weird. And then we get the best part of the entire ending. Oh my god. He has a new horse that he can jump four rails. Yeah. And as he's leaving, he jumps over the fence and we get this amazing freeze frame <laughs> of John Wayne jumping over the fence on the horse. And the freeze frame is so blurred. It's so motion it's such blurred. It's a blurry picture. And I'm like, why did they choose this one? And it, they like stop it on that. And then they have like the tight, like the ending credits. They have all the credits go over this image that you And can, it's a terrible picture. If it wasn't for the eye patch, you wouldn't be able to know who it was. <laughs> it's so absurd. It's And the music, it's such a hokey ending. It's so bad. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, which one was the best? I think the John Wayne one, right? <laughs> yeah, totally. You can't. Be, it's a classic, Adina. I, I don't care what. You, you can't remake a classic. You can't make it better. So I think I actually like the Coen Brothers movie the best. Out of out of all three. Yeah, I know you do. Uh, <laughs> I, I do. You don't even have to say it. You already said that this was your favorite <laughs> Coen Brothers movie. So that kind of cemented it, didn't it? Yeah. But I really did love the book a lot more than I was expecting. Yeah. Because I don't I mean, I don't read Westerns. Westerns are not made for people like me, which is <laughs> a woman. <laughs> that is true. But, you know, Maddie Ross's character is so great. The dialogue is so funny and it's a really interesting story and it, and it moves along at a pretty fast pace. So I didn't ever feel like it was a slow story. No, I was. It's it's a very short book. It's just a little over 200 pages. Yeah. And yeah, I was surprised. Like, and if you're a fan of either version, honestly, it's worth it to read the book. It's worth it to read it. Like there's a lot of great dialogue, some additional dialogue, you know, mm-hmm. in scenes in the book that aren't in either version. And it's just it's just like fun. It's enjoyable. And it I, I liked it. I like getting to kind of read outside my usual genres and have something that I enjoyed. So I really did like it. And I know it's a classic and a lot of people love this book. Mm-hmm. So if you haven't tried it, you should def- definitely give it a try. You won't regret it. But the Coen Brothers movie might be just like a tad more enjoyable. And like it's so well made. The yeah. craft in it is just like excellent. Like we said, the cinematography the music, the editing, the way the scenes are arranged and like the things that they change, I think makes sense. It's just it's just excellent. So, the, yeah, they take what's there and they just they rewrite it a little bit and just with editing and good performances, they just heighten the source material. Yeah. Like in all the right ways, in my opinion, both mm-hmm. in the humor and the sentimentality. Um yeah, it's just like, I think it's everything people would want an adaptation to be in my mind. Yeah. You know what I mean? The parts that aren't necessary, aren't really there, or the parts that were kind of boring. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I won't gush about it anymore. <laughs> I, I just, I've always really, really liked this movie. Yeah. And when I found out it was a book. You were like, hell yeah. I was like, yeah. <laughs> it's awesome. And it, it. It was excellent. I'm so happy we got to do this episode on it. Yeah, it was really fun. And I'm glad we watched the John Wayne one, too. I am, too. Because a lot of people know that one and may not have seen the Coen Brothers one. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, it was so cool to get to compare all of them and do a, a three. A three for two combo. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully it wasn't too confusing or yeah. headachey to listen to. Uh, but, I, yeah, I think seeing how two different people approached the same adaptation. Yeah, 
just once again, it's a really good way, I think, to learn about film and adaptations in general. And yeah, and choices that are made about movies and how they play out differently. It's, it's, it is. It's super interesting. Mm-hmm. So hope you like this episode. And before we go, we still have the lightning round. Lightning round. Woo. So uh, there's a great line in the book where Stonehill, who's the person that Maddie sold the ponies to, uh, is complaining about how he's had bad luck since he came to Arkansas. And he's basically like, oh, Fort Smith is the Pittsburgh of the Southwest. <laughs> and he's, you know, he's like throwing shade on Pittsburgh. <laughs> yeah, but... It's still exciting to hear Pittsburgh reference yeah. to in a book. Even if it's in a negative way and it's basically illustrated for him to just like be like, oh, Fort Smith is terrible, just like Pittsburgh. And then later on in the book, he's like, I thought it was going to be the Chicago of the Southwest. I know. <laughs> I'm like, you want to be anywhere but here, I guess. <laughs> Apparently. Um, one of my favorite parts that's goofy in the Coen Brothers movie that was actually not in the book and I was shocked was uh, they encountered this man who was like a dentist healing man. Yeah. And he's just covered in this bear skin. <laughs> and uh, Maddie Rooster, Maddie and Rooster have this just awkward, weird conversation with him. Yeah. The scene starts with they think it's Labeef following them. Yeah. And suddenly they see this bear skin man appear out of the woods and come up to them. And then it shows Rooster's face and it holds on his face for like five seconds. And yeah. finally he's like, you are not LaBeef. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just so goofy because like, I, I don't know. I just was expecting it to be in the book. Yeah. Uh, it's just this weird added scene. Yeah. But it fits so well in the story that uh, get, get on them for creating that character that fits perfectly in this the story. Bear man. The bear man. Um, so in the John Wayne movie, they like can't really do nighttime shots and I get it because of like the lighting constraints of the time. Yeah. There is, there are a couple of nighttime scenes, but they're clearly sets. And I think when they're trying to do these like landscape shots, when they're actually shooting in this environment, they yeah. can't really do it. So there's like a lot of scenes where they're just like making a campfire, but it's like clearly the middle of the day. It's like noon. And they're like, let's go to bed. And I'm like, <laughs> it is not, this does not make sense. But then at the end, there's this like weird shot where it seems like they're trying to simulate nighttime in like a regular shot. And it honestly just looks like they put like sunglasses over the lens of the camera or something. Yeah, like the sky is darker, but it's still super saturated blue. Yeah, it doesn't look like night. It just looks like things got real dim for a second. And it was so funny because I'm like, are they trying to simulate nighttime? And we weren't sure. And then the guy who answers the door isn't like a, a nightgown night and a cap with a candle. And we're he's like, like, who is that? We're like, OK, they're trying to pretend that it's night. Definitely <laughs> supposed to be nighttime. Not the best effect. <laughs> um, oh, one of the lines I really uh, enjoy that is added by the Coen brothers or the writers that is so perfect and fits so well in the dialogue mm -hmm. is during the negotiation over the pony <laughs> at one point Maddie says something that's kind of hypothetical yeah and uh stonehill says i do not and he's like i do not entertain hypotheticals the world as it is is vexing enough <laughs> <laughs> and it's just one of those really funny lines that's delivered really quickly and snappily mm -hmm. and just fit so well in the dialogue that you wouldn't expect it to be an added line, an added line but it is and mm -hmm. that's it's so effective uh 
That's the end of the episode. Yep. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, if you want to find us on Twitter, we are at Cover to Credits. That's uh, with the number two. Uh, email us at cover to credits pod at gmail.com. We are on Instagram now. We're on Instagram. Woo! I think that's just at cover to credits pod mm-hmm. or just at cover. No, at cover to credits pod. <laughs> I gotta, I gotta look that up. <laughs> and if you're listening on iTunes or any platform, please just give us five stars, you know, or a review. Either one helps a lot and we'd really appreciate it. Yeah. And we're also on Patreon. We are. Join us. And we have a lot of stuff going on over there. We have a, extra bonus podcast that comes out monthly for anyone who contributes as a patron. Um, so please check us out there. Also, uh, in our next episode, we will be doing the time traveler's wife. Yeah. So get ready for crazy sci-fi extravaganza slash romance, a time traveling clusterfuck (laughs) (laughs) essentially. So Tune in next time for that, and thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.